Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Today is Tuesday, April 26th, and we're going to do something new. We are going to take an interview that Aram Layton, who is joining me uh, here today, we're going to take an interview that he did with Angels farmhand Michael Stefanik, who by all accounts is on the cusp of his first major league call-up. It's an interview he did on the call-up, and we are going to repackage it and play it for you because this is no ordinary interview with a minor league baseball player. This is an interview with a guy, and you'll hear it uh, a little bit later on in the episode, that had zero Division I offers, went to an NAIA school as a walk-on, started all four years, hit like 400 over his NAIA career, and then sent a tape, sent a baseball resume tape to all 30 major league teams because nobody wanted him out of his NAIA, you know, all-American credible career. Which, by the way, is is unheard of. You, Nobody's you send, done that. You don't send recruiting tapes to professional baseball teams. And, and without spoiling the rest of the story, because there's still so many more wrinkles to it, nobody answered. Like, of course, nobody answered, except for the Angels who said, hey, yeah, we saw this, like, maybe one day. And that one day came, and, and that's kind of what we get into. But, uh, yeah, I've never heard of the old recruiting tape for, for professional teams. <laughs> no. That was, and what's crazy is, is the fact that he actually did that. Cause I would, if my friend told me that, like, if you told me, Hey man, like, you know, and you had a good four-year career and you told me that this was your idea, I'd be like, save your time. Don't do that. Yeah. Like, go try out or something, but, but don't send video. Like don't send right. tape. Like I'm sure so many people were like, Oh, he's such a hardo behind mm-hmm. his back. Like, Oh, total hardo, total try hard. It's never going to happen. And here he is about to make his major league debut. He, he's right on the cusp. I mean, he, he's hitting mid three hundreds. He was one of the highest uh, in terms of batting average last year in the minor leagues in AAA, and, and hit 16 homers. So a guy that's really improved his ability. And then Joe Madden even commented on, on him during spring training and said, I heard this guy had defensive questions. I don't see him, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool. So he talked about that as well. Um, and, you know, one other thing that he mentioned was that, I mean, Perry Manassian, Angels GM, literally said, if you hit, you'll be up here. And uh, he's hitting. So you'd imagine it's got to be sometime soon. And I think people are really going to enjoy that interview. If you're still playing, I think you'll come away learning a lot about how to approach the game. If you're not playing anymore, then you'll just be very moved by the story because he also has an incredible way of being able to talk about just the way he approaches the game in general too, which I thought was super cool. 
Yeah, and the LA Times has already written a great piece on Michael Stefanik, um, which mm-hmm. you can go read. But I'm sure, you know, like the telecasts and the local news, and you'll see more written pieces about Stefanik once he gets up and has that first big league hit and first big league home run. You're going to hear about this journey, but you might as well just hear it from the horse's mouth. So you're going to hear that in about 15, 20 minutes. Before that, we got to talk to you about our, about our friends at Loop. Uh, we also got to talk about Angel Hernandez. Why don't we do that off the top here? Angel Hernandez, I just saw the umpire scorecard, 88%. He missed, or he called 11 true balls strikes yesterday. Schwarber had enough. The call on the pitch inside to Gene Segura was the worst thing I've ever seen. We've talked about the umpiring. We talked about it last year. You know, we're not going to repeat the same things over and over again, but the job security of major league umpires, especially bad major league umpires, is through the roof. I aspire to be in as comfortable a position as Angel Hernandez is in Major League Baseball. Oh, it's it's amazing. And that was the thing I, I replied to uh, Pitching Ninja after he put that video out because I can't tweet from my personal account. So I'm letting him fly from the Just Baseball account. Um I was it was the the clip of Schwarber who who certifiably lost his mind, which kind of just shows you how frustrated everybody is. And you you reach your boiling point. Um, imagine being able to be that bad at your job on national television with zero repercussions. Like imagine you're a cashier and it's on national TV and you're just giving everybody the wrong change and you're disrespectful and you suck and it doesn't matter. And everybody millions and millions and millions and millions of people know you're bad at your job. Your customers know you're bad at your job and there's nothing that anyone's going to do about it. That is one. There's not very many other instances in our life, in our society where that's a thing. When you hear that Angel Hernandez is the home plate umpire of a game that you're watching. I have never once heard excited for Angel Hernandez. I've always heard. And I'm talking the regional TV broadcast. I'm talking the radio broadcast and then national TV last night. It's always, oh, here we go again. Angel Hernandez is the home plate umpire. There is this frustration that sets in because you know he's going to affect the game. And there are a lot of great home plate umpires. There are a lot of excellent ball strike callers. I am pro-human umpires. I don't want robotic umpires. I think the human element is great. But I think that there should be a vetting process, and I think that there should be a review process after every year. And I think Angel Hernandez should have been fired a decade ago. Exactly. And that's the wild thing is, and when you've got guys like John Heyman, you know, it's like John Heyman's a a pros pro. He's never really going to go at anybody or, or criticize anybody that, you know, hasn't done anything egregiously wrong, but John Heyman had multiple tweets about Angel Hernandez last night. Uh, The first one being not sure what, what all the hitters are complaining about with Angel back there by now, you'd think they'd know to just swing at everything. I mean, we're talking about, you know, arguably the guy you know I think Passon is probably the guy now but but Heyman's the tenured known name when it comes to just covering the game and then another one sources colon Angel Hernandez misses the e on the eye charts I mean he's the butt of a joke for a guy that you know he likes to have a little bit of fun with his Twitter but his job is to report you know and, and he just was so annoyed by it that you know he's going out there and, and saying things and you know Heyman was far from the only guy uh, and, and only well-known professional personality speaking to the embarrassment that is Angel Hernandez on a large scale too, like on a big stage. If you're someone that's just dabbling into baseball and you're watching that, I mean, that would be a, a huge turnoff to me. Like, oh, they don't even have a, a stronghold on, on consistency 
of the way that their games are covered. And I know we can talk about NBA referees and stuff like that, but I don't think it's as egregious as it is when it's Angel Hernandez out there. No, because you're not watching the game be directly affected like an Angel Hernandez umpired baseball game is. Angel Hernandez calling balls and strikes changes the game. And I don't want to take anything away from Eric Lauer, but 13 punch outs for Eric Lauer. Seriously? He shoved, he, I, which was amazing. Amazing to watch. I mean, if Eric Lauer, we talked about the Brewers in the last episode. If Eric Lauer is a guy, you know, for them, that, that staff is going to be something else. So, but he had a 10 strikeout performance. He did not have a 13 strikeout performance. That's what I'm saying, right? Aaron Nola was good. He was not elite yesterday. He was very solid locating his pitches, but when you have the game altered that much, it enhances the pitchers. It takes away from the hitters. Bryce Harper had to ex- had to extend the zone and then come back and do a frustrated interview with a, a bad Sunday night interviewing booth. That was terrible, by the way. I, I thought that was garbage. That. I don't know if you watched it. Did you miss I, it? I missed it. That's good on you for missing that. I mean, that was a brutal interview, and I like Bryce Harper a lot, but he he didn't want to answer questions that weren't questions. It was, how about these robo-ups? What do you think of that? What do you think <laughs> of the humidors, Bryce? You kidding oh, me? Oh, Those are geez. terrible questions. Ask Bryce Harper, possible future Hall of Famer, about his approach at the plate. Like, things like that. Why are you asking about humidors? Um, but I, I digress. That was a quick little side tangent. But um, with Angel Hernandez, he affected the game so much yesterday, and you will never see something that clear. You're right. If somebody's watching their very first baseball game, and they're like, wait, is, is it always this bad? You say, no, no, no. Just wait till you see a real baseball game. Wait till you see a real umpire behind the plate. You shouldn't have to do that. It should be the same game, much like it is with NBA refereeing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and until baseball does something about it, like Angel Hernandez is going to drive off and, and be laughing when people yell at him, which is literally, I don't know if you saw that clip. Yeah, Somebody was I like, did. you stink and I don't like you, which was great. You know, I think that was a great way of, of, of do, going about it. No curse words. Nothing yeah, very nice. Personal, just you stink and I don't like you. Like, I think Angel even laughed at that. Like he was like, that was kind of a respectful criticism. But you see him driving away and he's laughing. Like if I just put up a horrible performance and, and I think Angel knew that his performance was not great. Um, if I just did that on a large scale, I'd have so much, I'd be humiliated. You know, I'd be embarrassed. I'd want to be better. Um and just to, to even be laughing as he drives off, I think is, is kind of tells you everything you need to know. I don't think there's much urgency or, or much of a, a burning desire from in, within for Angel Hernandez to be better at his job. Yeah, a total mess. And let's talk about our friends at Loop before we get to the Michael Stefanik conversation. Yes. So I am still devastated that uh, Bowman Baseball pushed their pushed their release back uh, till May 4th. But uh, our guys you know, wild cards trading as well that, you know, we partner with to, to do a lot of the box breaks. T Wright, who's one of our contributors, put together a really cool article uh, that I'm excited about because it kind of shows you what to look for on loop. And it's the biggest risers on our top 100 prospect list. And this is where yeah. I always like to talk about how our editorial ties in with the collectibles because top prospects, who should you invest in? Who should you be hunting? So we have an article, which will be in the description, which kind of tells you where to find all of the biggest risers on, you know, loop or wherever, you know, you're ripping packs. But the, the big thing too, is with the newest checklist coming out and what loop does a really good job of is loop gives 
make sure that all of the sellers that need products get products. So with that new products coming out, Bowman Baseball, they're going to have names like Ellie De La Cruz in there, George Valera in there, um, and some of the really big, exciting, I think Curtis Mead's going to be in the new product, Jacinti yep. Noel. These are some prospects that you and I talk a lot about on the call-up, and several of those guys made big leaps on the top 100. So in a week, you'll be able to go on loop, and almost every single seller, I'd be willing to say, will have that Bowman baseball uh, and you'll have a chance to pull some of those cards. So check out that article to kind of see what names to look out for. And then speaking of, of polls, and I was thinking about this because I was curious uh, what your perspective is on this as a baseball player who is probably a little bit superstitious, maybe a little stitious yeah. uh, to give a nod to our friend, Michael Scott. Yeah, um, our friend. Yeah, our friend. Yes. And just by friend, it's a one sided friendship here. Um, but they pulled some fire this week and it's, it's different sellers, but usually it's the, the same sellers because they're, they're on there every day. Yeah. Are you a believer in like the hot hand? Like it's so for example, buff breaks, uh, they pulled a Fernando Tatis rookie auto and also a Fernando Tatis rookie card out of 25. And the auto is also out of 25. Excuse Holy me. Holy smokes. So they just nailed two Tatises, which I have no idea what those are worth, but you can take my word. It's a lot. Yeah, um, there's not a lot of comps because there's only 24 other comps and I don't know if they've been sold yet. Right. Would you go buff breaks because they're hot, you know, like where it's a blackjack table and the dealer is is hot and everyone's like winning at that table? Or do you go to the to the maybe colder side like and, and go to like the another seller that hasn't pulled some heat in as long or like another dealer that is just killing people at the table? What, what's your theory on that? Because I mean, buff breaks they're due to not pull a Tatis now. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, buff breaks. They're on there. Maybe they'll pull Wander instead. Yeah. But how do you pull two out of 25 Tatis rookies? No, I, so my thought is if you got it, you got it. Uh, and I ride the hot hand. Like there's no tomorrow. Um, I ride it like Kemba, like UConn rode Kemba in, all the way to the national title game through the big East tournament. That's how I go. So I'm all over buff breaks right now. Um, obviously they're not going to have Tatis again, although, you know, who knows what happens there. Um, but yeah, so my thought is you, you go with the hot hand there. Um, it's like 2020 when Bieber won the Cy Young, I kept on riding Shane Bieber and, and Indians at the time guardians. Now, um, first five, I kept on going with Bieber because he was the hottest hand in baseball because why not? Right. So I feel listen, if you got it, you go with it. So another follow-up question, because there's a wide variety of the biggest polls of the week. And we tweeted those out and I actually ran a poll to see what everybody would want. And Juan Soto's rookie auto out of 25 is what won uh, in terms of what everybody would want the most. Uh, and that was also pulled a rookie auto for Juan Soto out of 25, which is insane. Uh, also a rookie auto for Vladdy was pulled uh, this past week. And then a autograph of Freddie Freeman. But the one that, gra- that I gravitated towards the most and I have no idea what it's worth because these cards are so unique of Ken Griffey jr. It's a foldable card with an autograph on one side and then his picture on the other side. And that was pulled by Papa J cards. It's a Panini national treasures, Ken Griffey jr. Auto booklet. Imagine pulling a booklet. I wouldn't even know what to do with that. So for those wondering what national treasures is like a lot of these sellers all have them and it's, it's, it's more expensive uh, because there's a high chance that you pull something insane yeah. uh, like this. So you're, you're almost guaranteed a hit quote unquote. It's just how good is that hit going to be? 
and Papa J Cards on the Loop app pulled a booklet, which is an autograph of my favorite player of all time. And you know, when I'm recording at home, I have that auto, uh, that autographed Ken Griffey Jr. jersey behind yeah. me. Um, yeah. So now that's why I asked, do I go back to Papa J and hope yes. that he pulls another Griffey? Yeah, I think you I'm have not, your I'm, two... my psych. I'm different psychologically. Like I, I'm like, okay, he pulled his Griffey. I got to go to somebody else. No, no, no. I, I think what you got to do now is you got to ride the two hot hands. You got to go to Buff Breaks and Papa J Cards. That's how that works. <laughs> okay, going to Buff Breaks and Papa J Cards. So uh, a full breakdown, so you know, because those guys are, are and, and girls are on pretty much almost every day selling. Uh, and yeah. breaking and um, the full breakdown before we get into the interview uh, you had the Tatis rookies by buff breaks OPC baseball cards at a Randy, a Rosarena rated rookie auto from Don Ross uh, and then monster card shop, which is a sick name, three yeah. massive autos from the brand new tops 2022 archive signature series. So that's something that I, I would say is a lot of fun to go chase after which a lot of the different sellers on loop have this product right now. The 2022 tops archive signature series has a lot of different autographs. Obviously it's called signature series and they pulled the Vladdy, the Soto and the Freddie Freeman. So monster card shop had a monster week and you're telling me go to monster card shop. I think so. They're due for another monster week. See, I'm, I'm so opposite. Okay. I'm going to follow your, 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 I guess approach here. I'm because you at, don't have like the corrupted gambler's mind. You don't bet. You're a broadcaster. I have the corrupted right. gambler's mind, and I'm like thinking the opposite. So you said you said Tatis rookie auto at a 25. Yes, I see a Tatis rookie auto at a 99 for about a thousand dollars. Yeah. So someone just made about four, five, six, seven thousand dollars right now. And, and that's going to appreciate over time. That's always the fun question too. Peter brought up the, do you sell Shohei Otani? I would probably sell him. I would sell Shohei. I think I'm holding on to Tatis for five years. As long as he stops ripping the motorcycles though. Like that's a <laughs> legitimate concern. Like I'm not even kidding. If I have $10,000 tied up in Fernando Tatis Jr. cards, albeit my investment in was probably $50 because whoever ripped those packs probably didn't buy that much in packs. Yeah. I'm worried about that. Like I, I'd assume now he's done with the motorcycles, right? Like it's, it's gotta be over. God, I'd hope so. <laughs> Contract restructuring. Yeah. He's so good at baseball. <laughs> so yeah, I would hold on to the Tatis. I'd hold on to Vladdy and I'd hold on to Soto. Really? I, I'd hold on to all those guys. I'd a Rosarena, like whatever. I'm selling a Rosarena. In the playoffs though. When he's hitting 450. Yeah, I'm selling a Rosarena like November 2nd. Yes. When he's popping off in the playoffs, that's, and everyone's like, oh, here, he's becoming a superstar. So, no, no, he's playoff superstar, very solid regular uh, during the season. And then something just clicks, man, for him. Playoff Randy. Playoff Randy. Uh, but yeah, I'll be ripping some, some cards over the next week or so. Hopefully, I'll be a name. In these, uh, or at least it wouldn't be my name. It would be the, the breaker. But hopefully one of these will be my card that we're talking about. Because right now, uh, I, I haven't had much pack luck as of late. So I'm due, I think. We shall see. You are totally due. You've got a sweet jersey behind you. I love the nod to loop. 
Yes. Um, I wish you got it in the orange with the white cursive, though. That That's what the app looks like. If you go to the app store, L-O-U-P-E, to download the Loop app, it's orange. It's so clean. Um, you got the black and white jersey, though. Black and white still looks good, but orange more like your hoodie. I thought you'd like that as a White Sox guy. And, and by the way, you can use the link in, in our description. Uh, we'd appreciate that so they know that we sent you. Uh, but yeah, definitely would love to hear what you think about the Loop app. I've had a few DMs come in. Um, people really enjoying it. So I, I love hearing that feedback. And uh, I know they, they very much like hearing that as well. 100%. Maybe you can rip off a of Michael Stefanik. We'll see. And today oh, we have a really, really awesome guest. Maybe one of the hottest hitters in the minor leagues right now. LA Angels organization, Michael Stefanik. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on and looking forward to it. Yeah. So, I mean, first and foremost, I got to congratulate you on what was just an amazing 2021. Uh, and then, of course, a great start to 2022 so far. So thanks again for uh, carving out some time during your your hot streak right now through the first 10 games. Uh, I want to read stats to the listeners before you get into it, because I want, I want you to talk kind of about what clicked for you last year. But just so people know, after you were promoted to AAA, which was 104 games that you played at that level, you slashed 334, 408, 505 with 16 home runs, 10% walk rate, 13% K rate. I mean, you, you can't ask for much more than that offensively. Uh, what really clicked for you last year? And uh, I mean, how fun was that ride? Oh, it was awesome. You know, getting to experience the AAA level was just phenomenal. There's so many just like veterans who have been there, done that in the show and just like being able to pick their brains um, honestly, the biggest thing that clicked for me last year was just, you know, the intent to do more damage. Um, I've always been a really high contact rate guy and uh, kind of showing that again this year. But the biggest thing for me was just like picking my times to take my shots and when to, you know, try to hit homers and try to stretch the gaps a little bit. And, and I really kind of started understanding how teams were pitching me and just really, you know, taking those shots at the right times paid off for me last year for sure. I think that's something that's really cool to hit on because, you know, again, you can't really, I guess you can, but it's very hard to teach people to have a 90 plus percent zone contact, right? Like that's something that I feel like you can make the adjustments. You can make some optimizations to your swings and your movements, but at the end of the day, there's just like a level of bat to ball that is unteachable and you have that, but in a game that is so driven by power uh, and impact, unless you're a gold glove defender or the fleetest of foot. Now, when did you, when did that kind of set in for you? Like, Hey, I need to do a little bit more damage. And how did you tow that line without compromising who you are? Because you're still a guy that puts the ball in play a ton and, you know, can spray the ball all over. Yeah. I mean, I really just, you know, talking with my hitting coaches coming up, um, you know, there's always, like you said, a fine line in between when to try to make contact and when to do some damage, but, um, it really hit me after the, uh, the COVID year 2020. So I didn't really play. Um, I, I, I finished the, the 2019 season, probably at like 165 pounds, like lost a lot of weight during the year was very small. Ended up gaining like 20 pounds of muscle during the wow. COVID year where I was just literally doing nothing but playing golf. That was about it. Um, so that was my big emphasis was just, I've always had the high contact rate. So now it's about like maximizing that exit velocity with the contact rate. Um, so that really helped. I was on like a weighted bat program with the angels that, um, kind of increased my bat speed too, which helped a lot. And 
you know, it's really just always been one of those things for me. I know I'm going to put the ball in play, especially with two strikes. So um, like I said before, just kind of picking and choosing those spots and, you know, the types of pitches that I want to attack and try to drive as opposed to, you know, most of 2019, that was really my first full season in pro ball. I was just swinging to make contact and uh, you know, like you said, fine line. So I really just kind of understood a little more nuance of the game and was able to, you know, take those shots at the right time. And, you know, I think there's a level of when you're getting acclimated and in, into professional baseball, it's, it's almost survival, right? Like you just, you, you want to put the ball in play. You want to show that you belong. And uh, I feel like for you, even more so, you probably had that pressure a little bit, right? Because you weren't a, a, a first round pick or, or somebody that is going to get all of the chances in the world, right? Like you knew you had to maximize your opportunity because it's just the nature of the business, right? If, if you're a million dollar signing bonus guy, you're yeah. going to get more chances than, than the guys who went undrafted. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, first of all, your, your experience finally getting a chance because uh, the LA times wrote a phenomenal piece on you. Uh, and just your whole story to, to where you are now on the cusp of a big league debut, hopefully sometime soon. Uh, but before that, it was not really being recruited that much, you know, and then even after you perform in college, not really getting too many calls about professional opportunities. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about your journey to where you are now? And, uh, you know, did you always think that pro baseball could be an opportunity and, and something that could actually work out for you? Yeah. I mean, in short, no, I never really thought it was a possibility. I always knew people who did it and, you know, it was a goal of mine to do that. But coming out of high school, my senior year, I broke my ankle in like my third game of high school senior year. So that was kind of the big recruiting point for me. And that all kind of got, you know, taken by the wayside there. Um, I walked on at an NAI school called Westmont in Santa Barbara. Um, I went into that fall as like, the fourth second baseman on the depth chart ended up hitting like 600 that fall um, started all four years there um, was told junior and senior year by multiple teams that, you know, day three of the draft back when it was 40 rounds, Hey, we're going to take you. Like if you're there, we're going to take you. Um, so went through that for two years, obviously went undrafted. Um, so at that point it was kind of back to the drawing board. Um, I had a girlfriend at the time, former girlfriend, um, her, really good family friend worked in the front office of the the Padres. So I, I kind of had a sit down meeting with him and I was like, Hey dude, like, how do I, you know, get my foot in the door and break into this pro ball world? Because that's honestly half the battle truly oh. is just, there's so many good players who don't get those opportunities. And uh, he basically told me to, you know, draft up a baseball resume and uh, a little prospect video. It was almost like a college prospect oh video. So I've, bad. Ne I I've never like heard iPad. of that. Yeah. So I, I went to my, drove home 14 hours from Santa Barbara to Idaho, kind of tried to figure out what was next. Uh, went to my local high school field. They were having summer ball there. Filmed like, uh, you know, me taking ground balls and hitting BP um, on my dad's iPad that he had at the time. And I literally sent probably 150, 200 emails um, to four or five different people in each major league baseball organization, just, you know, trying to hope for a shot. And uh about half the teams responded that there was nothing available at that time. The angels being one of those. And then, you know, I got an email from somebody with the angels that said, we don't have any at bats for you right now, but we'll keep you in mind if we need somebody. Um, ultimately somebody went down in the AZL um, for the angels and they gave me a call and said, 
you know, how soon can you drive to Arizona? And I was like, I'll be there tomorrow. So I packed up all my stuff, drove to Arizona and yeah, hit 400 in rookie ball. And then here I am. That is insane. Yeah. Pretty crazy. That, that is unbelievable. Um, I mean, wow. I, I was not expecting that, that whole story. I, I hope everyone listening is like, as like moved by that as, as I, because for me, you know, I always dreamt of, of playing and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I obviously didn't have near the ability you had and I tore my labrum and I was like, all right, I'm going to broadcast. You know, like, I didn't have that burning passion or that yeah. uh, I love baseball, but uh, clearly, but I, I didn't have that. Like there's just a different level of, I think people like yourself that just find a way. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the coolest things in the world because I, I would almost assure you 99.99% of people would have probably shifted because I think conventional thinking is all right, let's, let's go find a career now. Yeah. And here you are, you found a career and you're on the cusp of, of a major league debut. So <laughs> congratulations to you on that. I mean, yeah, you, you, I've never heard of a recruiting video for professional baseball. Yeah. It's, you it's think, still you, you think hitting 400 your senior year would, would do that for you. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, just, you know, the way these teams draft, it's like, it's a lot easier to, you know, take the risk on a power five guy who, you know, may not have the same level of stats, but have seen that competition. Whereas, you know, it's a little harder to take the risk on a guy and, you know, spend 10, $20,000 on a guy coming out of a small school like that, who's, you know, undersized, no power, you know, all the stuff that scouts have said about me and my career. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely glad I didn't take no for an answer. That's for sure. So that was actually going to be my next question because I mean, you're, you're obviously a very humble guy, but how do you maintain that confidence in yourself when, you know, evaluators are saying, eh, I don't know if this guy's, you know, good enough to make it. Uh, teams are saying, eh, I don't know, man. Uh, and, and that's kind of the trend for you, but again, you were right. You are right. But how did you maintain that confidence in yourself when you have all those outside voices kind of doubting your ability? Well, I kind of just, just, as you said, that kind of made me think of that Michael Jordan meme from the last dance where it was like, and I took that personally. Yeah. yeah. So like, I, I kind of use that as fuel, but also like when it comes to game time, like whether it's the big leagues, whether it's, you know, rookie ball, whether it's college, whether it's high school, the pitcher's got to throw the ball over the plate. And if he throws the ball over the plate, I got to, I have a chance to hit it. So really I kind of just approach every day, whether it's spring training, whether it's, you know, triple a, whether, you know, freeway series in Dodger stadium, like the moment really has never been too big for me. And I'm always just been confident in my ability to put the bat on the ball. And, you know, like I said, he's got to throw it over the plate. Let's see who wins. So that's kind of really just how I approach things day to day. That's, that's awesome. Because again, it's something in the game now where, I really feel like baseball and sports in general are very cyclical. Right. And and we've gone so far one way, which is, you know, swing and miss three true mm-hmm. outcomes. You hear it all the time. I don't think it's as detrimental as, as people think and yeah. try and make it out to be. But if you're trying to balance a lineup out, I think we've seen now time and time again, if you have too many of the same kind of guy, that three true outcome guys, it's, it's tough to win games. At least as far as I'm seeing now, I start to see that importance of the bat to ball guys. Of course, you still got to be able to hit 15, 20, 
And you did that last year. Like you're not going to be able to hit two home runs anymore. So that that's never going to quite be the same, but now you're hitting those 15, 20. You talked about how you were able to do that. Uh, Was there any challenge of adapting to the triple a level? I know that the baseballs are different. So did that aid you at all with the power? Like some gappers turned into homers, but also at the same time, these guys are executing pitches better. Maybe they're not giving into you in the hitters counts as you're talking about, you know, picking your spots to do damage. Yeah. Maybe in high A, it's a guaranteed fastball. Not the case maybe in triple A. What was that learning curve like once you got up to triple? Totally. It was just like, then, you know, I had a, luckily I had a lot of good veteran players on my team last year, you know, Drew Butera, John Jay, guys like that. who could just sit down and talk with about the game, which was awesome. And I would say the baseball like helps, helps a little bit, but it's not really as much as you would think, like, especially, you know, we're dealing with it out here in April right now. It's cold. The ball goes nowhere. So like, it's kind of just, everybody plays in the same environment. So I've never, I've never really quite understood the whole like PCL, you know, hit, it is a hitters league, but it's like, you still got to hit it. So I would say a couple, you know, a couple homers last year, or doubles turned into homers last year just because of the baseball and whatever. But, you know, it's really just about, you know, putting good swings on good pitches. And that's, that's really my entire hitting philosophy. It's never like what's going wrong with my swing. The first thing I look at is like, am I swinging at good pitches? So that's really what I learned. And, you know, I study tendencies and tend to base my, you know, game plan off of tendencies by the pitcher. So just like understanding myself and what I do well, and then also understanding at the same time, what I'm not good at and just kind of trying to lay off those pitches. Cause that's, in my opinion, that's the biggest key to hitting in general is just like, take the pitches you're bad at hitting, even if they're strikes and then swing at the pitches you're good at hitting. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. It's funny because it sounds so overly simple but it really is something that is, is kind of making its way as a wave through the game as well. If we're talking about trends, you know, codify Michael Fisher, uh, the founder of codify is, was a guy that uh, hopped on the just baseball show recently. And it was pretty cool to just talk to him. We're like, what's your, what's your big complex philosophy? Of course, there's a lot more to it, but he said, if really to boil it down, it's hunt the blue zones, uh, throw your better pitches more and your worst pitches less or for hitters, you know, kind of what you were saying. And, and it's really wild that, it's something that I think we've seen kind of take shape more. So now again, a little bit of a simplification of what became almost overcomplicated in the game. So for, for you, the bat has been there, right? Like, I don't think there's much question about the bat, but the other thing that you were getting, you know, some, I guess just some like questions on about for your big long-term outlook in the big leagues was, was the defense, right? Like where does he slot? Where do you end up? And, you yep. took that and over the off season really focused on working on, on that agility, right. And, and kind of being able to play other spots. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, w- what your focuses were defensively and, and how you tried to make yourself more adept to be able to, to play all over the field? Totally. Um, so I think the biggest thing for me this off season was getting healthy. Um, a lot of people what, what they don't know is I was dealing with a pretty severe lower leg injury last year, the whole year, which limited my range and my mobility. So that's honestly been the biggest thing for me. Um, but I spent all off season in Tempe at the angels facility, you know, just getting right. You know, if there's a silver lining of not getting put on that 40 man roster and being locked out, it was that, you know, ability to go into the facility every day and get the treatment and the PT and the, the workouts with the strength staff that I needed to. And we really focused on, you know, sprint speed, 
running mechanics and agility just to, you know, range up and get those balls that I wasn't getting to last year. Um, and then I've also worked really hard this spring on a, a, a kind of a new prep step in the infield to kind of get me more on time with the pitch, you know, while it's in the hitting zone. And, you know, I feel like that's already paid off, um, quite a bit. I'm getting to a lot more baseballs that I otherwise wouldn't have last year, you know, whether it's, you know, the injury, whether it's just me not reading swings well enough, but you know, all that's common. I think Joe Madden was quoted saying something that I really agree with. And he, he basically said during spring training, he didn't see why that was the knock on me. And I really agree with that. I mean, I won five gold gloves in college in four years. Um, so I really don't, you know, defense has never been something that I've struggled with. Um, so, you know, my mentality is the same. Everything's really the same. I've adjusted my pre-pitch, but, you know, just being healthy will allow me to get to a lot more of those baseballs that I did last year. Yeah. And, and I love that, you know, you're, you're able to kind of speak on that. And, and that's the thing too, is uh, you were playing shortstop in the early going of your professional mm-hmm. career, right? I mean, like, and, and even if it's not in double or triple, like you're playing shortstop. I think you're capable of, of playing second or third. And yeah. as you mentioned, not getting healthy was big too. Uh, how has the the experience at third been a little bit? Because as far as I know, that wasn't somewhere you played as much. And they've gotten a couple starts there. Uh, yeah. how, how have you adjusted there? Because uh, it's, it's different, right? The ball comes at you a little bit quicker. Sure. It's a longer throw. It's different arm slot. Like, how, how has that been for you adjusting there? I think it's fine. I feel like my second's my primary position. I feel like that's where I project long-term in the big leagues if I were to stick at one spot, but third would definitely be the the second most confident place I am at right now. Um, I worked really hard in the off season with one of our coaches doing a, a weighted ball program for my arm. So I feel like that's helped a lot with just the carry across the diamond. And honestly, I really like third because it's, it's such a forward and back position where up the middle, you're going left and right so much that it's like at third, it's really like, okay, do I go get that short hop or do I take a couple steps back and get that long hop? And, you know, the throw is whatever to me, as long as I get my feet set, I feel like I can throw it just fine. So, um, I feel comfortable there and, you know, hopefully whenever the angels need me, I'll be ready no matter what. So you talked about the, uh, some of the players in triple a, some of the big league vets like John Jay and Drew Butera mm-hmm. and some others that you know, were able to kind of impact and be just a, a resource for you. Was there anybody else uh, at the spring training or any other big leaguers or anybody that you, you've come across that has really been, a, a Oh my gosh, it's this guy. And also anybody that was just really helpful for you. Yeah. I mean, Anytime you get to watch Shohei Otani and Mike Trout take BP, I was in there. So first day of big league camp, I was in their hitting group and I don't think I've ever felt more emasculated in my entire <laughs> life. These guys are hitting balls over the, the, the training room and right field. And I'm just like slapping doubles and homers around like barely wall scraping over. So, you know, that's, that's an awesome experience getting to play with those guys. Of course, two of the best in the game. Um, Anthony Rendon, I talked to him a little bit about third base and then obviously, you know, Fletch up the middle is incredible. And so just getting to talk with him quite a bit and pick his brain about little things like the prep step or, you know, double play feeds or whatever it is. I I think that's huge. And, um, but I'm pretty confident in my hitting philosophy. I I haven't really changed that in a long time. So, um, you take, you take bits and pieces of what guys have to say, but, you know, if you don't stick to something you're confident in, you're not going to do very well in the box. 
Are there any uh, other aspects to your hitting philosophy that you may be comfortable sharing without given too much of the blueprint of yeah. how to get Michael Stefanik out, which is already very <laughs> tough to do already. So um, yeah. yeah. Any, any other, like, I know you've gotten into it a little bit, but I don't know if there's any other aspects to your hitting approach. Cause that's something we always like to get into on this podcast. Yeah, I, mean, I always like to get in the head of, of, of hitters yeah, or pitchers. For the, for the most part, I'm on the fastball until it's time not to, you know, um, I, I have a really good ability to recognize spin and all that stuff. So my, my end zone swings really good. And I, I don't chase very much, but really that comes from just setting my sights to a fastball that I want to hit and reacting elsewhere. I mean, as simple as that sounds, there's so much information available to us now, even at AAA. like obviously in the big leagues, it's a totally different level, but you know, the scouting reports we get in every day are so in depth that it's like, if you don't have a simple approach, you're just going to drive yourself crazy with all these numbers. So you know, I, I like to understand, you know, how much arm side run he has or how much vertical break he's got on his heater. And, you know, everything comes from the heater. And if you can't, if you can't hit a heater, you're in trouble because yeah. obviously that's, that's the pitch that most guys throw the most often. So everything starts with that. So I was looking at the numbers uh, from combining from this season going into last season as well. Uh, mm-hmm. 323 against fastballs, 358 against breaking balls, and 340 against changeups. Um, were you aware of that? <laughs> no, I had no idea until you just told me. I always knew I crushed breaking balls, but I mean, oh yeah, and the slugging on breaking balls is is the highest by far, 576. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, it might be missing a few a few plays here and there, but I, I think that's one of those things that when I look at, at prospects, you know, we're doing prospect analysis or whatever, and you see a guy that's, that's putting up numbers against every kind of pitch. That's, that's somebody that, you know, is comfortable in the box, right? Like, yeah. And when things are going poorly for you, which has not been very often in a, or not for a very long time, but baseball mm-hmm. is still a roller coaster of a sport for even the best. What is usually the challenge for you? Cause you have the simple approach. So when things are yep. going poorly, what is usually off for you? Um, you know, what's usually off for me is I, when I, when I start going poorly, I start hooking a lot of ground balls to shortstop. And really that stems from just like my posture as a hitter. I try to think about like almost getting my chest over the plate. And so I can turn underneath these breaking balls and heaters and that'll, that'll get my direction better going towards center field. Um, yeah, that's my worst habit is just spinning off everything and just like, hard ground balls, the third or short. Um, that's the biggest thing. And then if I'm not seeing it well, which happens to everybody, um, I really just try to shrink the zone. Um, you know, a lot of guys try to expand it and swing more. I honestly try to swing less just because I make so much contact. I almost have to be be more disciplined than other hitters because if I swing, chances are I'm going to put it in play. It may not be hard, but I'm going to put it in play. So I almost try to just shrink the zone and just hunt the pitch that I'm looking for. And if it's anything else, just let it go. I think that's a really good point. Cause that's something I always try to talk about with, with approach in general, right? We see a lot of high end hit tool guys, <clears throat> excuse me, that end up chasing a lot. And it's like, okay, wait, they're high end hit tool, but they chase a lot. And I get a little questions about that. And I'm like, cause you have this overwhelming confidence that you can put the bat on anything, but just because you can put the bat on it doesn't mean that's good. Right. You might be better exactly. off taking a strike than rolling over to third base. Um, so it's really interesting to hear you talk about that. And I think it all kind of ties back into leveraging those hitters counts. Uh, mm-hmm. What would be like one word of advice 
uh, you would give to to a young hitter, maybe going into high school and now starting to face that that tougher competition. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as someone that's kind of seen it all, that's had to to grind his way through. But just in general, from like a basic hitter hitters perspective, what would you tell a high schooler that's going in to face some tough competition? Jeez, that's a that's a good question. Um, let's see. I'd say the biggest thing is just like understanding that failure happens in baseball and it's going to happen more times than not. So just, this is such a mental game and it's so so much about confidence in the box that it's like, if you beat yourself up over one or two or three bad at bats, you're going to be in trouble because you're going to get about 500 more of them in a minor league season or a major league season. And if that's your ultimate goal, like what's one, you know, three strikeout day in the grand scheme of things, you know? So it's just about being able to handle adversity. And I think part of that is just like being a good teammate and finding joy in like your teammate success. So even if you're not having a good day, supporting your teammates and being there for them will ultimately lead to you doing that in the future. That's I think that's the best piece of advice there. Cause I always remember going, going back to high school, you win the game, but one guy has a bad game and he's over there pouting like that. Yeah. That's usually not going to be good for you long-term with your teammates and also with, with the way you approach the game and just uh, your overall well-being mentally. Cause it is a game that will wear at you if you let it without a doubt. And I can imagine from the minor league grind, it can mm-hmm. wear at you even more. So uh, one last question on, on that side of things you are right on the cusp, right? And I mean, you can only control the controllable and you're doing that right now mm-hmm. by, by hitting, right? Like that's all you can do is hit, defend and, and yeah. wait. But I mean, you, I've got yourself in a position here where you're, you've never been closer to the big leagues, right? And I, mm-hmm. uh, not to, to talk about it too much, but you know, how do you balance that? Because you don't want to try to do too much. I, I know mm-hmm. for sure that's definitely not what you want to do, but you still won't have that pressure to to put up numbers. Cause you're so close. Uh, well, how do you balance that? Um, I think the biggest thing is just, it's the most cliche thing in the book, but just like day by day, it's like, you may go four for four one day, but over five the next. And it's just like, how do you balance that? I've always been a, a very consistent player and I pride myself on, you know, doing that and being a consistent, you know, hitter in the lineup and defender. So it's just like, like I was talking about earlier, being able to flush the bad days, but almost more importantly, being able to flush the good days and just not thinking that I I, I heard this quote one time and is, is really good. And you're never as good as you think you are. And you're never as bad as you think you are. So it's just like being able to stay and minimize the peaks and the valleys of this game, because there's so many of them. And it's just, you know, approaching that and just, playing consistently every day is huge, especially in baseball because there's so many games. And, you know, if I can do that, you know, I kind of just at this point in my career, like I'm, I still feel like I'm playing with house money. Like if you had told me at 18 years old that I would be 26 and being one step away from the big leagues, I would have called you a lunatic. So, you know, I, I still try to put things in perspective every day and I love my job. I love going out and playing and being with my teammates in the clubhouse every day. And, I really do enjoy it. So, you know, it's about enjoying every day that you get to go to the ballpark. And when that call comes, like I'll be ready no matter what. So that's and, how I look at it. And I think that's the best way to put it. And when that call does come, you know, what, what will angels fans be getting from, from Michael Stefanik? What kind of player are they getting? Yeah. Consistency. I think I'm going to show up every day and 
play as hard as I can and I'm going to dust myself off and do it the next day. Um, I'm the type of guy that'll give you three to four quality at bats a night and I'm going to field my position when the balls hit at me. And, you know, I want, I want to help win ball games. I want to go on a postseason run. I want to, you know, help Trout and Otani get those playoff wins that they've been talking about so much. So, you know, it's really, I want to be a part of something big and, you know, it's been 20 years almost on the dot since the angels won a world series. And I want to be a part of that. And I want to go on a deep playoff run. So I don't care about my numbers. I don't care if I play every day. I don't care if I play against lefties. If I play against righties, I don't care. I just want to be up there and be part of it and, you know, be a part of that major league, you know, fraternity. Please help get Mike Trout to the playoffs. Uh, that, that's, that's Mike all Trout. I ask. That's all I ask. I mean, uh, no, the angels, this, I was, we were just talking about it on the just baseball show um, about this is the best iteration. I think of the angels we've seen since maybe 2012, which was a team that won 90 something games. I mean, yeah. this is a really good team, but as you know, you can't have enough infield depth. You can't have enough, you know, bats in your lineup and, and things mm-hmm. happen. Um, so I, I know you're going to get that opportunity sooner rather than later. And uh, I know that everybody that listened to this podcast is, is going to be rooting for you because this was a, an awesome interview and, and an awesome story, uh, by the way. I mean, I, I don't think, I can, I can really explain that enough, but it's really incredible how, how far you've come and how much you still have to go. Like how much, how much you're still going to do uh, is, is really exciting. And I'm excited to follow along the rest of this year. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad, you know, I was able to share this stuff with you and your audience. So yeah, I'm stoked to, uh, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we we got to run it back if you're up for it uh, after the uh, after the big league call up or after you're hitting 450 two months into the season. Uh, but <laughs> absolutely, I'm down. Uh, I'm but down. I, yeah, so much fun, man. I really appreciate the time and really look forward to you getting that call up sometime soon. Thank you, I appreciate it. Again, like my jaw is on the floor listening to that conversation. I was listening to it on my way from Lexington, Kentucky to Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I saw Clay Snowden, one of our writers, by the way. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, I uh, I was listening to it and I was just stunned listening to the entire thing. And I called you. I was like, can we just put this on the Just Baseball show to get a, like new sets of ears on this? Because so many people need to hear this conversation. Yeah, and I, I think it's also a really cool glimpse into the life of a minor leaguer. And you know, cool might not be the, the best word, but the challenges, the the ups, the downs, and just how much is out of your control. Because that was the one question I really wanted to ask him. It's like you're doing everything you can control. Yeah. But how do you manage the pressures of not knowing how things are gonna go out of your control? Uh, for example, you know, just just looking at the the Rule Five draft, and you, know, you don't know if that's going to happen or not. That's out of your control. Uh, not knowing when you're going to get called up, not knowing basically what the entire situation is for you on a day to day basis, uh, because you're not that bonus baby, uh, is is something that the vast majority of minor leaguers deal with, uh, but most people don't even realize. You know, just because they didn't get the four million dollar signing bonus doesn't mean that they don't have their sights set on being major leaguers too. Uh, they're, they're putting their whole life into that as well. Uh, and and it's pretty cool to see just somebody like Michael Stefanik who should have, you know, I think most 99% of people probably would have given up. Uh, I don't think that's an exaggeration at all. I know I would have given up. Um, and just to see him 
still have the attitude that he has and it's about to pay off is one of the cooler things I've been able to, to experience just that conversation. I think I'm going to bump it to 99.99. Like he is the one in 10,000. Yeah, really. And maybe more than that, if you really think about it, because beyond the ability and how he's been able to just continue to get better and unlock more out of his game, uh, the, the psyche and just also the, the not taking no for an answer. You just don't see that. You, you just don't see that. And it's, it's admirable. It's, it's pretty incredible. Right. Because if you, don't take no for an answer. You could be a dick about it, but so many people do take no for an answer. Um, and, and it might not be the first time. It might not be the 10th time, but the 150th time you hear no, you're probably going to take that as an answer and say, okay, like, let's go do something else. That guy has heard no so many times. At every stop, basically. At every stop. He hasn't even heard words sometimes. No. Nobody has taken the time to say no in some instances. And, and he's like, oh, okay, that's, that's nice. I was expecting that no, but I'm just going to show you why you were wrong. That's so cool. I think we can it's all so take cool. a little something from that. It's so cool. So I'm a big Michael Stefanik fan. Um, I know you are a massive Michael Stefanik <laughs> fan after this. Uh, and we're really glad that we could share that with you. Absolutely. And I hope everybody else is rooting for him too. I think that call up will be coming hopefully sometime pretty soon. Yes. hundred percent. And we'll see if uh, Tyler Wade and Matt Duffy and Andrew Velasquez are still uh, ripping through for the, uh, for the LA angels and uh, they block Stefanik, but I don't think that guy's the type of guy that it deals with being blocked. Well, I think he's just going to see that and be like, okay, let's go hit 450. Yeah, say so try and try and block this 420 batting average or 430 batting average. Just good luck. <laughs> yeah, I think we're good. All right, um, Peter. No, yeah, you and Peter tomorrow. Peter and I have top 10 starting pitchers on Thursday, wow. so something to look forward to there. Um, and that puts a wrap on our top 10s. Uh, but yeah, you and Peter going to shoot the shit, talk ball tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. Again, get the loop app in our episode description. Uh, use that link in our episode description so they know that we sent you. Um, what else? I know Peter likes plugging the merch. Peter's on a freaking heater right he now. He's on a freaking heater. If, if you're the betting type, get in that chalkboard uh, and you talk about being due or riding the hot hand. Ride the hot hand. I think he's something like 25 over his last that's 25 hot hand. games. Or yeah, that, that's a hot hand. Um, so definitely get in our chalkboard and, and see the picks that he's given out. If you, you like sprinkling some money here and there on some games. Yeah. And again, you know that I'm pro hot hand. So I advise everybody to go jump on the hot hand and ride the wave. Absolutely. Let's see what Peter's heat check looks like this week. Bada bing. All right. Those two will talk to you tomorrow. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.